Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got Gant him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey. We are your hosts, and we have some real Michigan State football to talk about. Uh, one week into this podcast first, uh, thanks to everybody who has listened, subscribed, rated, reviewed, and given us feedback. Uh, a reminder, this Monday podcast every uh, every week will be free and available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts, along with the Athletic app. Uh, but our weekly Thursday episode, previewing the, previewing the opponent, like last week, previewing Tulsa, is only available on the Athletic for subscribers. Uh, and also, by the way, if you need a... Uh, morning after podcast the andy staple show is available from the athletic each sunday morning uh talking about what happened the previous day in college football and there has been a lot to talk about michigan state played on friday beat tulsa 28 to 7 then there was a lot of football on saturday colton i'm exhausted i need to lay down in a bed like you freeze how are you handling all the football on this opening full opening weekend yeah, it's probably a little different for you because you're, you're a national writer and you have to watch pretty, basically every game. For me, it was awesome. I got, just got to sit back and watch football, and you know, I missed it. You know, I, that Miami-Florida game was a little bit of a teaser last week in week zero, but no, week one, I, I, I was ready to see some football. I was ready to go. Did you how, – how late did you stay up? Did you get through Oregon-Auburn? Um, yeah, I caught the end of it. Um, that touchdown – Bo Nix, man, what a start to his career. Um, yeah, so I, I caught the tail end of that game, and I kind of went, I kind of passed out after that. Had a late night the night before, but yeah, I'm just ready. Football's back, man. Yep, and uh, well, so I mean, how do you like that? I mean, that'll be other than the bye weeks, the only days that you really have to sit back and watch all football. MSU has opened on Fridays uh, for a number of years now. You've now covered the last two. Do, do you like that? Do you like that kind of start that this kind of tradition MSU is doing? Yeah, um, I, I love the Friday opener. Um, it reminds me of high school football, which I never really got a chance to enjoy because I was, I was playing on my team. So that's number one. But having Saturday off is nice, too. Uh, you never really appreciate your weekends until they're kind of you know taken away from you. Uh, so after the game, I filed my story around 2 a.m., uh, slept in a little bit, watched some football, hit up my favorite uh, Mexican food spot, El Oasis, uh, took another nap. Good, good choice. Yeah, love it. <laughs> James, shout out James Edwards for uh, introducing me to that place. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, took another nap and watched some football with some of our athletic Detroit writers. So yeah, it was a good day. But I am going to miss my Saturdays when when they are uh, eventually taken away from me. Yes, and uh, but as for that Friday night game, again, obviously MSU beat Tulsa twenty to seven. Uh, I won uh, the predictions between the two of us. I predicted twenty four to seven. I did not expect nine points from the defense and negative 73 rushing yards, but I expected the offense to struggle. Colton, you said, what, 38 to 17, I think it was? 38-17, yeah, which was 21-point victory. Uh, You know, I'll take that. I got that part right. That's true. That's true. You did get the margin (laughs) of victory right. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, the the story's 
coming out of this game first are, are pretty obvious and they're familiar. The defense lived up to the hype, hype and, and then some. The offense uh, very much did not. As a result, I think a lot of MSU fans are not feeling all that great, and it's a familiar feeling in recent years. Colton, I guess just kind of first, what was your initial reaction coming out of that game when you left the press box at 2 a.m. or whatever it was? And what, what kind of feedback are you seeing, and what's the feeling in East Lansing right now coming out of that thing? Yeah, um, my initial reaction was, you know, I, I've seen this movie before. Um, this defense is truly elite. I don't care if it's Tulsa. Don't give me that. You know, I know there's some bot snaps and, and unforced errors on Tulsa's end, but negative 73 rushing yards, you know, 80 total yards, six sacks, what, like 13 tackles for loss and, and, a, and a handful of turnovers. That's, that's incredible, no matter who you're playing. Um, and that's what this defense has been over the years. So now with that being said, the offensive results kind of look pretty similar too. <laughs> the offensive line was an absolute mess. Um, wide receivers struggled to create separation, which is something Mark D'Antonio talked about late in, in the year last year, and we saw those struggles continue a little bit. Um, you know, Running backs obviously had nowhere to run, and they did miss some holes when they were open. So I, I saw that on the field and, and in my mentions a lot, just you know, the offensive mess that was. So hey! I, I guess it was a pretty hey! standard MSU game for me, but – yeah, it, it wasn't great. Yeah, we'll start with that offense because I think that's what everybody is talking about coming out of this game. MSU takes the opening kickoff down the field and, and scores. They were aided by 25 yards and, and penalties, but Connor Hayward takes a pass and beats Tulsa to the pylon. They showed some tempo, but that was the only time that the offense reached the end zone. They, they had four field goals. Three of them were set up by defense and special teams. And... You know, the biggest thing that, that we talked about coming into this game that, that we wanted to see, I think what you mentioned as what would be considered a success for the offense was the offensive line. Could they get a push? Could they get? Could they protect the quarterback? Uh, I think they did a decent job in pass protection, but run run blocking was, was not there. It was the same problems we always, we, we've seen in recent years. Kevin Jarvis was moved out to left tackle due to some injuries. The running game, 2.7 yards per carry on 40 attempts. That includes a sack, but Tulsa allowed five yards per carry a year ago, near the bottom of the country. Uh, Colton, your your impressions of the offensive line, the questions we had coming into the game, and you know where, where things stand coming out of it. Yeah, so we went into this game with, you know, the talk that Jim Bowman, brand new offensive line coach, he's going to come in and shake things up and whip these boys in the shape. And I don't, I really don't know if we can truly judge just because it was announced on the radio broadcast that A.J. Curry was going to miss this game. Um, D'Antonio said after the game that, that, that he was nicked up and wouldn't be able to go. For, for, for those that don't know, where would he normally play? He would be the, the your starting left tackle with um, Cole Chewins out. So he was expected to be that guy at, at left tackle. Um, when he's out, Kevin Jarvis, the team's best guard, and, and he plays on the right side, they put him at left tackle. And he had been practicing there throughout fall camp a little bit, and, and especially the last couple weeks of fall camp. So it wasn't a total surprise. He was number two at left tackle in the depth chart. So I guess when, when our Curry was out, they put Jarvis at, at left tackle. And then they put Luke Campbell at left guard, um, Matt Allen at center, Matt Carrick in at right guard for Jarvis. 
and then Jordan Reed at right tackle. So you're, you're playing with this offensive line that is a little different, and, and these guys have played together, but you know it, it's really hard to grasp when, when you have a set line that, that you've been playing with and practicing with, and then all of a sudden you're missing one of those guys, and on top of Cole Chewins already being out. So I, I will say it's, it's hard to really judge this offensive line early with, with some of the different pieces that we're missing, but the results just weren't good. Um, yeah, only only one sack allowed in pass protection, but Lewerke I thought was kind of running for his life, and and you know Jordan Reed had a, had a really rough game at right tackle. He was getting beat pretty much every other play. Um, you know Lewerke had to escape, which it was good to see him get out and run a little bit. But you know it, it was not a good off- performance from this offensive line, and, and there was no push up front in the running game. So you know different pieces, different names, but the same result ultimately with this this offensive line. Yeah, it's where it all starts, and if you're having problems there, you're probably going to have problems everywhere else. There were nine offensive penalties. There was a holding penalty that brought back uh, a touchdown run. Um, but but branching out from there, the passing game, not explosive. There were a lot of, for a, a, long, or a long stretch there, it felt like half of Lewerke's passes were behind the line of scrimmage or completed behind the line of scrimmage, whether that was a screen, whether that was a, uh, a swing pass, whether that was an RPO that, that went out. There were some things that looked a little different, but Colton, just from, from your view, uh, compared to last year, did, did, did it look any different? Because other than showing some tempo on the first drive, it generally looked like a lot of the same concepts. There was trying to run into into outnumbered boxes. There were a handful of jet sweeps in there. There were a lot of plays to the outside trying to rely on speed that MSU generally doesn't have in a lot of spots. Uh, Brad Salem, the new offensive coordinator, uh, one game in. What do you, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, um, it, I'm not going to lie. It did look pretty similar as to what we saw last year. Um, and, again, a lot of that goes back to, you know, offensive personnel on the offensive line and and but a lot of it is also a numbers game so you know having seven people out there to run the ball when, when Tulsa stacking the ball stacking the box with eight guys or you know a lot of guys were, were, were dropping back into coverage and MSU's doing these you know kind of swing passes and you're not really getting much out of that so it it was a rough offensive performance I, I will say I, I do think that three three five kind of complicated things and I think that's why you didn't see too many deep shots down the field um, from the worky and these receivers. It was a lot of dink and dunk, which we saw last year. Um, so, and, and look, it's, it's the first week. They're not going to show everything, obviously, but I think the question is how much more do they have to show? How much are you, are you keeping back with a brand-new offense? Wouldn't it be better to kind of get some of those things out in the open so you can, you can practice those a little bit when you play in Northwestern or Ohio State, Wisconsin, you get into that Big Ten play? I I, I just think there's no reason to, to hold too much back. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you want to hold back, but maybe you don't want your guys to get booed on the home field in the first game either. And yeah. that's that, that, that and having players answer all sorts of negative questions about that after the game. You know, uh, Nick Baumgartner wrote a really good piece uh, when he joined the Athletic a couple weeks ago, breaking down the offensive problems and specifically that the play calling and the, the, the strategies of running into outnumbered boxes and stuff like that. And, and we saw that it was when MSU was, MSU was either bunched up tight, and when they were bunched up tight, Tulsa would load the box. 
and when MSU was spread out, Tulsa would only often rush three because they they didn't uh, have a threat from the the MSU running game. So it puts everybody in a difficult spot. It it means you gotta pass out of some run formations, run out of some pass formations, and, and stuff like that. And Nick Nick did a good job uh, breaking down all the problems and how similar they were to last year in a uh, piece up on Sunday on the Athletic. And, and uh, to me, I I look. I, I said on Thursday's subscriber-only pod that explosive plays were, were going to need to go up in a big way, and they, they did not. MSU only had two plays of at least 20 yards. Only 12 or 13 teams in the country have fewer than that. There, there, was, there was no explosiveness in the running game, no explosiveness in the passing game. And I, I don't really know... You know, I, I, I don't we don't have the the all twenty two tape. I can't always see what the routes guys are running, but there were problems back in twenty twelve, and in in, in in other recent years where nobody is catching the ball on the run. There, there are not a lot of opportunities for yards after catch downfield. I, I don't know if this is because the routes are taking too long to develop. I don't know if the only routes that ever get open are comebacks or drags. Uh, but it, it's it's a problem because MSU is not going to be able. They, they had one field goal drive where they, I don't remember how far they were, but they they dinked and dunked down the field, had the I think had the touchdown called back and then got a field goal. And that, that was a good drive, but you can't ask this offense to do that time and time and time again. And when when, when I think the lack of explosive plays, it comes from the passing game partly because the working may not have enough time. But if you don't have enough time, then you got to set up guys with routes that, that can get them open quicker. Colton, from, from your vantage point up in the press box and, and even on last year, what, what, what kind of sense do you get about this passing game and, and, and some of the issues that they've had? Yeah, I mean, one thing I saw, a lot of receivers, whether it's, you know, Dotson, like a tight end like Dotson or, or Naylor or Stewart, a lot of these receivers are stopping their routes early, like especially on third down. Um, they're not running straight to to the uh, the marker. They're they're kind of pushing up forward and, and breaking forward um, instead of you know continuing on with their route and getting straight to the marker so you can pick up the first down on those. That was a problem routes. with Dotson. Yeah, that was a problem with Dotson. He got stopped on third downs I think twice. That's a, make, make yeah. a catch. That's always been an issue for him. So yeah, I saw a lot of that. Um, like you mentioned, there wasn't a whole lot of you know yards after catch opportunities. Um, you know one one play and one I guess one player that stood out to me was. Larice Nelson, um, you know, he had a route over the middle where Lewerke hit him in stride and he was able to get upfield a little bit. He is a speedy receiver. Um, he's got the separation skills that this offense talks about that, that, that it lacks. Um, I know he's kind of a depth piece, but I don't know why he's not in the field more. And I talked about this in, in my offensive thoughts piece um, a few weeks ago that, you know, he's probably the quick, he might be quicker than Jalen Naylor in terms of, you know, the ability to get in and out of cuts and, and create that separation. So, we saw it once. I think he had a 25-yard catch from the worky where he was able to, you know, go sideline to sideline. But we didn't see a ton of that, a ton of explosive plays that, that you mentioned in the last podcast. And that's been an issue over the years. And watching the worky back there, you know, there were times where he would kind of escape out of the pocket when, when it, he did have a clean pocket, which that's kind of been an issue for him over the years. But there are also times when – he just didn't have time to throw, and, and, and these edge defenders are, are getting to him. They're beating Jordan Reed on the outside. They're beating Kevin Jarvis on the other side. And 
when that happens, you're, you're never going to have a chance to actually set, survey the field, set your feet, and then let the ball rip. So this passing game, it is a strength. Um, I do think they need to go, you know, more of those three receiver sets and 11 personnel because um, that's the strength when they have the, the Cody Whites and the Daryl Stewarts and the Jalen Naylors out there. Take advantage of your three best receiving options. But, you know, they ran a lot of two tight end sets and, and like Nick said, kind of bunched up tight. And Tulsa knew what was happening. So I do think you're going to need some more flexibility and maybe, you know, have a, have a tight end flex out wide or, you know, change things up a little bit there because it is a little too predictable. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. Too predictable. And even along those lines, Tulsa was getting a jump on snap after snap, time yeah. after time. I don't know if that was a cadence. I don't know if that was the clapping that, that's setting them off or, or what. But they, they were very predictable. And, and something that I think Lewerke will need to find is whatever the, the, the go-to play was. Two years ago, it was the slant to Daryl Stewart was like the go-to play whenever they needed something. And it was very effective. And, and uh, last year, it was the fade to Felton Davis. When in doubt, that that's your play. So he, he's back and, and healthy. Um, how, how did he look to you generally? I mean, he looked pretty healthy to me. There weren't uh, throws that could have been picked off, which have been a problem. I think he was generally pretty careful with the ball um didn't really get many opportunities to to see much zip downfield there were a couple of overthrows on some corner routes uh what did you kind of make of uh Lewerke being back I thought he did everything that was, that was asked of him in, in this offense um you know I, I actually did think he showed some good zip on some passes um like he he was able to hit nail or uh, Larice Nelson in stride like I mentioned earlier and that was a throw. I was like, okay, yeah, he's back. He can do this. Um, and he looked confident out there, even though a lot of it was, was that dink and dunk game. But I think as the season progresses, they're going to try to work in more of those downfield shots. They didn't really have a ton in, in this game at all. Um, Cody White said, you know, I think the second half or the first half, one of those was one of the worst halves of football he's ever played. So these receivers had a bad game. There were drops all over the place. He didn't have a ton of help, obviously, in the run game. Um, he had to make some plays with his legs to, to just pick up yards. Um, so I thought Lewerke played as well as you could have hoped from him in a game like this where the defense is dropping back and, you know, 3-3-5. Three, three, like, all, all, everything involved in this, it wasn't set up for a great game for him, but I thought he played pretty well given the circumstances. So I think going forward, you do have to kind of, you know, take the training wheels off a little bit with him. And, you know, I think he proved that he can make some of those throws. Um, so... I do want to see this offense expand as, as we go forward, and especially next week against um, Western Michigan. Yeah, and it's pretty clear that Lewerke's legs are going to uh, need to be a very uh, often used part of the offense. A uh, couple of called runs worked pretty well. When you can't get anything going in the running game, you gotta, you're going to have to take advantage of them. And obviously you don't want them taking so many hits, but uh, you got to move the ball down the field. Uh, but, but when opponents can – rush four or three and not be scared of your running game that's going to be a problem all year long because Tulsa's defense is not very good and no. the, <laughs> the opposing defenses are going to get a lot better as the year goes on so if you can't do this against Tulsa can you do it against Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or Wisconsin the the chances are not good uh one last thing in the offense um specifically to this game the Rocky Lombardi Short yardage package, the Tim Tebow, Blake Belldozer package. Uh, 
I think he ran twice and picked up the first down once and got stopped the other time. Very strange to me. I understand the idea behind it. He's a big guy who can move, but for one, the quarterback sneak under center has been very effective for this team the last few years, whether yep. that that is Lombardi, whether that is Lewerke. Lewerke does a very good job at it. Lombardi's the big guy, but again, when it comes to predictability, Lombardi, you're probably going to run when he comes in. Yes, there are different plays they can use, and I'm sure they have all sorts of different things in the book, but... Uh, um, what did you make of that package? It was, it was something new. Um, that's what, that's what fans wanted to see something new with this offense. Um, and, and I get it's like the most new thing. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like the most new thing. If you asked what was new, the number one thing people, Oh, I guess there's that Lombardi package, which isn't even, it's not much of a change. It's, yeah, exactly. I, I get that Rocky was, you know, a state champion wrestler in Iowa and he's tough as nails, but, He's 217 pounds. That's your backup quarterback. When you've got a starter who's been hurt as, as much as Lewerke has this last year, is it really the best idea to put your number two in like that and, and just kind of put his body on the line? Um, especially, you know, I don't really see much upside there. It worked the first time. It, it, it barely worked. I'm assuming picked up the first down. Um, and then you come back to it later, run the same exact play and get stuffed because everyone in, in the stadium knows what's going what's gonna to happen. Um, so I, yeah, it was it was it was good one time. I, I just don't know how much you can come back to that going forward, or how smart that would be. The other thing is is that puts a lot more pressure on your offensive line. You're asking a lot more people to hold their blocks for a lot longer than if it's a sneak up the middle and you're only relying on two or three guys. Um, which again, it was pretty effective. So again, it's it's putting more pressure on your offensive line, and I don't know. I was not a fan just because just because it seemed unnecessary so offense was pretty dreadful for the most part a lot of people are wondering can this be like 2013 when msu's defense outscored its offense in the opening two games and then the offense flipped a switch got things going and msu went on to the rose bowl or is it going to be like 2016 or 28 or last year when it never or 2012 when it never when it never came back around um, that 2013 team was, was I've, I've never seen an offense change so much so quickly. And over the course of a season, they have that bad start. Then they, they blow out uh, Youngstown state. I think it was pretty easily. And then they go to Iowa and there is a third down play where Tony Lippett makes a really spectacular catch on a tough play on a third down over an Iowa defender. And after that play, the pass offense was very good the rest of the season. Connor Cook and Mumphrey and Lippitt and everybody really got going. And by the end of the season, that was a very good pass offense. And then the, the next year, they break all the school offensive records. So what? So I think there's a lot of MSU fans, when they see a performance like this, that's in the back of their mind. Can, 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 the, can the switch flip? Can it suddenly get better? like it has before so it's possible it's possible they have a lot more in the offensive tank that they didn't show it's possible that suddenly everything's going to work i think the the biggest question in terms of getting everything to work those the offensive line it's banged up it's inconsistent if you don't if you don't at least have average play it's going to ruin everything else you want to do so that's game one for the offense wasn't pretty it is what it is 
the real star of the game was obviously the defense. Tulsa held the minus 73 yards, six sacks. The leading rusher for Tulsa had zero yards. I know, I know the fumbles kind of added to it, but uh, uh, Colton, you wrote about the defense coming out of this game, and, and, and you know what were your takeaways about that defense? Antoine Simmons, Antoine Simmons, Antoine Simmons. <laughs> yeah. My God, he balled out. I mean, he was everywhere. And, and, and no disrespect to Andrew Dowell because he was a fine player and, and somewhat underappreciated by the time his career was over. But Antoine Simmons is, is a different kind of athlete. His, his range is incredible. You know, he's able to diagnose plays and coverage, which led to one of his, you know, his interception in that game. And this is a four, former four-star recruit. Um, and I think we saw that pedigree in real time on Friday night. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he develops into an all Big Ten caliber linebacker these next couple of seasons because he's got that talent and, and we're really starting to see it. He's really scratching the surface of what he can do. And Friday night was was really his coming out party. He, he was he was sneaking. He was blowing up swing passes like Danico's Allen used to a, a few years ago. Uh, incredible speed to to get to the ball um uh defensive line was tremendous as we expected they got the sacks uh, part of it was admittedly on tulsa center unable to snap the ball for whatever reason but zach smith was the tulsa quarterback zach smith was obviously in all sorts of pressure all the time um what did you make of the the defensive backfield there they were they beat a couple times a couple penalties on Tulsa's one touchdown drive, but obviously you can't ask a defense to be perfect. But I think that was probably our biggest question about the defense coming into the game was was the defensive backs. Uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, I thought Xavier Henderson had a, a really strong first game. And, you know, he's the guy filling in for, for Kari Willis, a guy who's been around here for, for a couple of years and was a leader on last year's defense. And when you lose a guy like that, there's always a question of how do you replace him, who's going to replace him, and can you get that same spark? And I thought Xavier Henderson came in, and I know he, he said before he doesn't want to be compared to Kari, but I saw a lot of Kari Willis in him last night or a couple nights ago. So I think he's a player that's going to fit in seamlessly, and that's, that's really the strength of this defense. When they lose a player, they can just plug in a four-star guy or a, a player that's been you know working their way up and, and really have – a seamless transition there. So this defense is picking up right where it left off. Um, I know it was Tulsa. Again, you can say it's Tulsa all you want, but when you have a defensive performance like that, um, I, you have to feel pretty good about it. And, and, you know, the track record is there for them to continue this. So, yeah, the, 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 the secondary looked good. You can say Josh Butler gave up a couple of big passes there and, you know, he had a couple of penalties. But if Kenny Wilkes doesn't get that late hit, that drive is over. They don't. Tulsa doesn't score the one touchdown they score. So there are little things that you can nitpick with this defense. But overall, you have to like that effort. You have to like that performance. And, and overall, minus 73 rushing yards was the, the fewest or most negative rushing yards <laughs> uh, since Florida had minus 78 against Mississippi State in 2000. So That's good, right? Uh, it's it's, it's good? been a long time since we saw that. It was a, it was a school record, uh, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, watching an MSU game, it feels like you put everything down and watch the offense. They sputter. You pull up Twitter to start talking about how bad the offense is while you're glancing at the defense, forcing a three and out. And then you repeat the cycle over and over and over. And every once in a while, the defense will give up a touchdown 
or, or the offense will put something together. But for the, for a few years now, that's kind of what the rhythm feels like watching a game from your couch on the computer is that you, you put all your attention into the offense because you want to see what's different and you trust that defense so much that uh, uh, even giving up a couple first downs, you don't expect every drive. That's just, that's just the standard that Michigan State's defense has built up over the past seven, eight years, and that was the case uh, against Tulsa. Uh, other miscellaneous stuff, I thought it was weird that they changed punt returners twice. Jalen Naylor was the first guy and showed some moves. Then for some reason, Cody White came in and got a, a decent return that was called back in a penalty. And then Naylor was back in. That was weird. Did you think that was weird? A little bit, yeah. Um, did they did they say anything about that after the game? <laughs> no, no, no explanation for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just look at, I I don't know why. If you have Jalen Naylor back there and you say he's the starter, let him get some experience because he he clearly needs it. I mean, he returned kicks in in, in high school, but he didn't really do it a ton last year, and he even had a play. I think he. he had a fair catch at the five-yard line when there was no one in front of him. So he, he needs the reps, and he said, hey, that's on me. That's my bad. So I, if you're going to stick with Naylor and you like what he can do back there, I know Cody White's had experience doing that, but, you know, just stick with one guy and, and kind of let them get a feel for it. Um, I don't really think there's any benefit to doing that, especially with two starting receivers. It would make more sense if maybe Larice Nelson comes in for Naylor. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a little weird. Dominique Long also had a part return, but was that – did they kick away from Naylor on that one? Is they how it have. happened? They might have, yeah. Yeah, so three different people returned punts. Um, so don't see that often. And then uh, Matt Coughlin was quietly very solid. Three, four, four for four on field goals, three of them over 40 yards, including a 47-yarder that – I think that's the one that doinked in. Yep. Um, so that's certainly something you want to see because in years past, I mean, she's had reliable kickers suddenly lose their ability to kick field goals <laughs> as a senior or later in their careers. Uh, so far, Coughlin, Coughlin still appears to uh, have all those abilities. Uh, so wrapping up Tulsa, we got, uh, we got some awards we're going to try to do every week here. The first one is the Le'Veon Bell, how did he do that moment of the week? Uh, we, we decided on the Raekwon Williams sack, Kenny Wilkes fumble recovery. It's kind of encapsulating everything uh, that that defense did, and, and uh, there weren't many of those on offense to pick from, right? Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good place to go. Uh, Kenny was pretty pumped uh, at the, the touchdown because of Raekwon. <laughs> He's like, shout out my dog, Raekwon. Thank you for the touchdown, Raekwon. So uh, yeah, that's he's, good. He's pretty happy about that. It was his first career touchdown. He was you know running like a madman on the sidelines. But this, that's the thing. This defense just has fun out there. It, it's it's a total. It's a stark contrast from the offense. And you see them you know walking off the fields to to booze with with their heads down. And then you look at the defense and they're creating turnovers every other possession and and running off the field and and, and chest bumping and everything. So you know yeah, that's the state of this this team right now. But you know at least you got one elite side of the ball. You just got to get the other one going a little bit. And that's a good point that has been the case for a lot of MSU teams recently, that the offense is very bad, but the defense, it doesn't divide the team. The defense sticks with what it's, what it's doing. Yeah. And I've seen, you see teams fall apart when one side isn't working. And I, I do think there is something to be said about 
uh, about that um, within the locker room. Uh, we also have, yeah, we, we also have the Kirk Cousins oh no moment of the week. Um, and obviously Kirk Cousins was a very good quarterback at Michigan State. Uh, but he was also known for inopportune mistakes, uh, interceptions at bad times or really often at the worst times. And that has uh, continued actually in the NFL a little bit. Uh, but the Kirk Cousins oh no moment of the week uh, the late hit penalty on Kenny Wilkes that you mentioned, it was a third down stop, uh, kept the drive going. Tulsa eventually went down to get their only score on that. Uh, Colton, what'd you make of that play? Yeah. I mean, Kenny's just, he's going to give you that all out effort, you know, every single play. So yeah, the, the, the timing there was a little unfortunate. It, it extended the drive and, you know, Josh Butler got, got burned a couple plays and, they scored a touchdown, and, and when you talk to these defensive players, that's the thing. Like they're not thrilled with giving up seven points. They don't. They, that's not good enough to them. Joe Bocci was on the sideline, and he just had this like look on his face, like he was upset. And Kenny Wilkes came up to him, and was like, "What's wrong, man?" And he's like, "This this is not good enough. You know, I, I don't like the way we're playing. I don't like our energy. I don't like any of this." And that's with them giving up negative seventy three yards in this game. Like, it's it's wild. So. Yeah, there are little things to nitpick um, on defense, and obviously that's a play you don't want to see and that, that can't continue. But in the grand scheme of things, you give up seven points in a game against Tulsa, I think you're pretty happy with that. So, yeah. And it, it's been the case for a while, even back when under, under Narduzzi especially. Uh, you, 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 frankly, you just you live with those plays. The, the penalties that are the hitting too hard, the doing too much on defense penalties, you live with that because – that's how you get minus 73 yards. That's how you get six sacks. That's how you get the Narduzzi games when they would sack Michigan five, six, seven times. And Narduzzi said they wanted 60 minutes of unnecessary roughness. That's the point. You know, they, they have to push that envelope. They have to go over that edge. They, they have to do that to keep their edge. So plays like that will happen. And, yeah, it ended up leading to their only touchdown. But you live with it because of what the defense is going to do otherwise. And it just kind of comes with the territory. Uh, and the last one, the the weekly Mike Sadler punt of the week. Colton, uh, you tweeted about this uh, one earlier Sunday. Yeah, uh, new number, same leg. Uh, Jake Harbarger is back. Uh, yeah, he had a, he had a play. I think MSU was backed up kind of deep in their own territory and had the punt. He's really near near the back of the end zone and, and has to catch a snap and do something with it. If this were last year or, or – you know, early on in the season, late in the season, it could have been a, a walk-on out there. It could have been your backup quarterback. It could have been someone pulled from the streets midseason. You don't know what you're going to get back there at punter. And then number five, Jake Harbarger just comes out in the field and booms a kick uh, 61 yards. It really should have been a little bit more. It's probably closer to 70 yards if you're just looking where he's at in the end zone and where it ends up. But that's an NFL leg. That's a weapon for this, this special teams unit that was missing last year. So – Getting a guy like him back can can flip the field and do a lot of different things for the, for this you know this team that we didn't see last year. So, yeah, getting him back that's going to do some things for sure. Yeah, that, that was a fourth and twelve backed up at the, the six yard line, and the coverage was good. It was only returned five yards, really flipped the field. Um, so uh, a, a big play there, the the Mike Sadler punt of the week, which, given the state of this offense, there are going to be probably lots of uh, categories or options for this 
throughout the season. So, Colton, uh, D'Antonio talks on Tuesday. Western Michigan is on Saturday. Uh, what are you working on this week? What can readers of The Athletic subscribers uh, look for from you uh, coming up? Yeah, so on Monday I will have kind of a, a last recap of, um, you know, the Friday game against Tulsa. Just, you know, anything I missed or, you know, final thoughts or – I'm going to title it upon further review, and I think that'll be a Monday feature going forward. Just, you know, wrap, wrap, wrapping up the weekend a little bit. So that'll be out Monday. Um, Nick Baumgartner will have, I believe, an offensive film review um, to answer any burning questions that you guys might have on the offensive line or the receivers, the worky, the running game, anything. So he's got more of a trained eye. He's been watching football for a long time, and, and he can break down personnel and, and everything on the field. So I think that's going to be something that – you know, MSU fans are really going to want to read. Um, he'll have that Tuesday, I believe. Um, Wednesday, I, I, I do want to write about, we just mentioned a little bit, but the special teams unit, um, I, I think it can really come together. I mean, you just look at Hartbarger, you look at Matt Coglin, and you look at Naylor returning punts, even Cody White back there a little bit. Like, all those, this, this entire special teams unit, you know, not to mention the block we saw on Friday. Um, yes, we didn't talk about that, yeah. The punt right. block, very There's clean a, block. Yeah, it's really coming together, and, and I think special teams was an issue last year, just in pretty much every phase except for, for maybe kicking and field goals. But it's really coming together, and I don't think that's something that's that's talked about enough. When you when you have, you know, an offense that's struggled and a defense that keeps doing its thing, special teams is just kind of, you know, sitting in the wings, and it, it deserves to be talked about. So I'll definitely have a story on special teams, and then we'll get more into Western Michigan as the week goes along. But that's kind of a, a brief look at what we have coming up. I've also got the uh – 19 most interesting stats from week one from a national uh, perspective that that's currently up on the athletic right now uh, lots of goofy numbers in there that that also include uh, illinois and uh, the red hot rutgers offense rutgers. so make sure you, you check that out and we will have some reader questions coming up on the thursday pod uh, got a couple of those in and we'll get some more after uh, d'antonio speaks on tuesday so that'll wrap us up here on the free weekly Monday pod. A reminder, we'll be back on Thursday previewing Western Michigan. That's only for subscribers. It's on the Athletic app. Uh, Again, please subscribe, rate, review, share, feedback. Let us know on Twitter. Uh, Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, We're still getting this thing going, and we are always looking for uh, more. So that'll wrap us up here for Colton Pouncey. I'm Chris Vanini. Thanks to our producer, Mike Zimmerman. Shout out to the Road Dog, Jesse James, and we will talk to you guys later this week.